Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is a Players Point production. It's sponsored by Prince Associates, the company you can trust for all your insurance needs, and the law firm of Decalator Cohen in DePrisco, specialist in line-of-duty accidents. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. And, in fact, we have to tell you that one of our guests tonight coming up after you, Joe Charbonneau, when he heard that you were coming on, wanted me to personally tell you that when he had his second back surgery, this is what got him through. He would play two to three games a day. Um, Our next guest is a Bucknell University mathematics student, began selling an early version of this baseball tabletop game out of his basement, buying advertising space and Sports Illustrated to aid sales. He lost money until 1963 when his decision to release a game containing one card for each player in Major League Baseball resulted in greatly increased sales. Stratomatic games are generally recognized as very influential. They've been played by a wide variety of sports fans, including professional athletes themselves. Doug Granville is a well-known Stratomatic player. As well, now we can add Joe jo- jo- to the list. Games of Stratomatic were shown being played in Spike Lee's film Crooklyn. It's our pleasure to welcome the father of all of that, Hal Richmond. So welcome, Hal. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the uh, the inter- the, the start of segments you made. <laughs> so now the game's celebrating its 50th anniversary. So you look back, and you know, from Wikipedia, we can get how old you are. We don't have to divulge that. But you're in your early 20s when you invent this game. What was the process in which you came up with the idea, and when did it it first come to you? Well, <clears throat> it it started when I was 11 years old. Uh, where I was very uh, unhappy with the only game available with players, with, which was all-star baseball, <laughs> which only made yeah. one item, which was hitting. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was a very, it was a good game for that, but it, even the hitting, which you, I played it so much that I wore down the spinner, <laughs> and the averages then became uh, very erratic. Uh, and but it didn't measure running or or uh, pitching or fielding any any, any other the other important facets of the game. So I, uh, at that point, when I was 11, I said I could do better, and I, uh, I wanted to create a dice game, and I, uh, what I did was I rolled, I did not know dice probabilities at 11, so I had to roll the dice about 5,000 times, create a dice probability table, and from there I was able to create, uh, you know, very rudimentary cards, and I went to camp with them, and played it with my bunkmates, and then after that, for the next several years, I developed the baseball game further along as a dice game, and then also developed a football game and a basketball game and other non-sports games. And by the time I was 23, the game had turned into a card game. It was always it was always changing, and uh, as a card game, uh, it was a bit slow. Uh, it was accurate, but uh, but the play value wasn't that great. Now my my mother was a real estate broker. And she uh, basically uh, did not want me to go into my father's business, which was the insurance business. Uh, my father was a very difficult man, and uh, he was a bit—he uh, was a very physical man, uh, and he had a terrible temper. He and his brother were known as the brother—the brother, the fighting brothers of, of John Street, which was the uh, main street in the insurance district in New York mm-hmm. City. So my mother uh, introduced me to one of her clients, who was a in the toy business. And I brought over all my inventions, and uh, he looked at them. And after about three hours going through them, he said to me, you know, Harold, you have ability. You have a very good ability, but your games are not, uh, they lack play value. They're not, they're not commercial. And that hit me very hard. 
And I, I, I left him, and I went back to my house, and there happened to be some dice on the, on the uh, breakfast nook table. And I started rolling them. There were three dice there, and all of a sudden I realized if I read one die away, separate from the other two, I would be able to create play value. And that's what I did, and that was the, the start of uh, the game uh, which you see today, the basic version at least, uh, which all, which both versions, all the versions work with the three dice, obviously, but the basic version was really, I was really the beginning of the basic version. And uh, that, made, that made all the difference in the world. And I then tried to get my game uh, sold to other people, other companies, uh, including a company I worked for, uh, called Craigstan Corporation. They were in the import business of Japanese imports, uh, mechanical toys, basically. And uh, I was there for about six or nine months, and I kept on telling the president, I've got these great games, I want you to see them. And he said, all right, fine. And then eventually he would see them, but just before he would see them, he had bought some uh, sailboats from Yugoslavia. And the boats looked great. The prices were great. were terrific on the on the on the product. There was one problem: they did not float. And so, when he when, when he had a, he had a disaster on his hands. So I he looked at my products after the disaster, and he was he was he was so upset. He never wanted to go with anything else but mechanical toys. That was it. He was fearful of anything else. And that was fortunate for me because he would have probably ruined Stratomatic at that point. He really. I uh, did not have uh, the capacity to uh, to launch a board game uh, board game uh, division, no. and so I was once again, you know, on my own. And eventually, I would run a D and B on a on a competitor, uh, and I, I saw that he was doing well. And as a last resort, I went into business for myself at the age of 25. That was 1961. So how how do you go about? You look at the game. How do you go about and say, I want to go in business? Publish the game, print it, do everything. We know you marketed. You took out ads in Sports Illustrated, and then as you took the first wave of acceptance of the game, how did you go through saying I have to change the game to keep it vibrant over the years? And how did you make that realization determination? Well, mostly by uh, comments from people. Uh, uh, the initial game only had 80, 80 players, and it was uh, you know just basic, and. Uh, my customers who came in, who started buying my product, said, you got a good product, but we want all the teams. And um, I also noticed that my advertising, I was, I was selling uh, off, my, off the ad itself. In other words, I would try to uh, give them a story on the ad, which would be usually a half page or full page in a magazine, and it just wasn't enough. And so I realized then that I had to do much more marketing-wise, have a, have a brochure to be sent away for, 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 for free, and also, I'd have to come up with all the cards. And this took money, which I didn't have. And so I went to my father, who was a, you know, he was a fairly successful man. It was a small business that he had. And I made a deal with him, which was a lot like the deal made in the, the show, The Damn Yankees. <laughs> and I basically said to my father, um, Pop, uh, give me $5,000. And if I can't return the money to you by the end of the year, I will go to work for you. And I knew full well if I did go to work for him, I wouldn't have lasted more than six months because those two brothers were crazy <laughs> fighting all the time. So I, I labored under that pressure. And for the first several months uh, up through May, things were not going well. But in June, uh, it all of a sudden turned around. And for 80 straight days, I'll never forget it, 1963, I worked, uh, I got up 7 in the morning, got to work at 7 in the morning in the basement of my father's house. <laughs> 
went to 11 at night, and it was it was just a, a work of joy. It was just wonderful. I, I just I knew I had turned the corner, and actually made some dollars that that year. I made some money, which was a great feeling. And I knew then I, I was I was on my way. It's interesting you mentioned about the dollars that it cost you because you said that one of the things that the people came to you was saying that you want they wanted every team and every player. I have to imagine over the years from when you started, um, there's been a lot of different union leadership uh, negotiating with Major League Baseball and the players' unions for rights and names and statistics of baseball players uh, must have changed a lot. What was it like in the early days, and how has that changed now? And how does that change the price point of the game? Well, the price point of the game has been changed by uh, uh, numerous things. I mean, uh, you can't get started for $5,000 anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I would probably would take $100,000 to do it on a, on, a sw- excuse me, on a small scale, and that would be through the Internet. Um, it, what, what happened, uh, you know, basically... The unions came in, about, if I remember correctly, I don't know the exact year, it was about 1965 or 1966. And they had a man named Marvin Miller, who was much maligned by the Major League players, Major League owners, but he, I knew him and I met him several times, and he was a man of great integrity. And um, he took over the union, and he, one of the things he wanted to maximize were all these games out there. And he had no idea how well they were doing, and also the card companies. So he he, um, he 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 basically spoke to people around, and it just just so happened to be that that year the Atlanta Braves about half of the team was playing Stratomatic, and uh, he spoke to the Atlanta Braves, and they said get Stratomatic, they're a big company, and of course I was a very small company, and then the other one they came after was Tops, and that they were right on, that was a big company, so we were the first two companies contacted by the association of Marvin Miller. And uh, I had a fraternity brother of mine from college, from Bucknell, who was a lawyer, a very close friend of mine, by the name of Bob Sale. And I said, Bob, you have to represent me. Uh, the union has just contacted me. They want to speak to us. and They want royalties, and they're threatening to put us out of business. So Bob went up there, and he, he basically gave uh, Marvin Miller and Dick Morse's assistant the whole, the whole deal, I mean, what, what kind of a size company we were, and when uh, when Marv Miller heard heard the size of us, he's a very calm man now. He takes his pencil, bangs it against the desk, goes high in the air, and he says, "Mr. Sale, I thought your sales would be my royalty numbers. I don't know what I'm going to do with you." And fortunately for us, Marvin Miller was a man who thought for the future, and he eventually came up with an idea where the royalties would be five thousand dollars at that point, and if and after two years. They work out a different deal. Hopefully, you could pay more, so they could benefit more. So he was very fair. He he with all the companies involved, and so the so the uh, the, the uh, royal, there were royalties, and we had to deal with major league with major, the major league association. As far as the clubs went, we did not use their nicknames, we did not use their uh, decals or their uniform colors, so we would, did not have to deal with them. They were pretty upset by this, but there was nothing they could do. Uh, the only thing at that point that a company like mine could use would be uh, the, uh, the statistics, basically the statistics, and perhaps the numbers on the, sh- on the shirts. I'm not sure about that. But the statistics, that's all we could really use. In other words, we could put a card out there, say, Paul uh, Hulholz, and just list the statistics on the bottom of the card, but no name. And that we could do. But, of course, that would not work. 
So we, we made a deal with Miller and Marvin Miller, and we, we went into business on, on, that, on, on, on agreement with him. Now, eventually, Marvin Miller is, 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 resigns. He, uh, it was many years ago. And a man named Fear comes in, Donald Fear. And Fear um, uh, basically uh, up, up the, the ante a bit, uh, and we were paying a percentage of our sales, say it was, I think it was about 5% or so, something like that. And uh, they became uh, a bit intrusive into our business. We, they checked out our advertising. Uh, once we called uh, a very famous player, Brittle. They didn't like that, but they eventually conceded on that issue. But there were a lot of they, they were involved with our, our business, and it was difficult. And they were they had some people there that were very difficult. And at one point, um, there was if you remember, there was a uh, a strike, and 23 players were called scabs crossed the line. And uh, we wanted to put those 23 players in the game. And uh, they did not want us to do that, the Players Association. And they had one, one uh, and their leader by then was a woman. Uh, and uh, she was a very, uh, very good businesswoman, a very tough, tough individual, very tough. And uh, she uh, basically told me that if you want to use those players, um, or one of her, uh, one of her, uh, her side, one of her people under told me, if you want to use those players, you have to have one statistic that's incorrect on every player. <laughs> you know, listen, now, Stratomatic's okay. all about accuracy right. and play yeah. right. We could not do that. Wow. And uh, I eventually she called me up because I did not do that, and I said to her, I didn't realize she was one behind. I said. Who could or who could do something like this? Who who what fool could 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 try to force us to put a, a, a fictitious statistic out there? And of course, she said that was me, and we had a very 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 <laughs> bad conversation. And uh, so it went on like this for years. It was really a battle uh, with with the association of baseball. Football was 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 not bad at all. They were okay, and so was hockey. Although football eventually became very difficult at the very end. But then what happened? Was that the the players' association then decided to uh, have major league uh, major league management represent them with everything, uh, uh, just about everything but the player cards, the tops cards, I believe, and um, that made a tremendous change because the, they came in there and they wanted to basically attack the fantasy area, and that's what they did, and they basically uh, put together. Uh, a setup in which only the big, only 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 the very large companies could to do well, and the very small companies could exist. Everything in the middle would not be allowed to continue. Now, one of the companies in the middle, which name I forgot, was not going to was not going to accept this, and they were big enough to go out and get a very fine lawyer from St. Louis, a man named Rudy Toucher, and uh, Rudy Toucher represented them, and he then took. He took them to court, and he was able to win the case that uh, that basically said the Players Association is not entitled to anything uh, or management entitled to any, anything that only contains the names of the players and the statistics. If a photograph is put on there, that's something else, and then they're entitled to something, or if the decal is used or the uniform colors, etc. So all of a sudden, my situation had changed. But the association still came after me, so I was forced to get Rudy Telcher. And we're a very small company; we cannot afford Rudy Telcher. But he was a gentleman, and I sent him. I sent him everything. 
We have a little baseball. We have a book about the company called Baseball Fanatics. We sent him that book. We sent him all our games. And I basically told him all our, all our financial stuff. And he said, Howard, you're an honest man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, uh, I'll deal with you on a per hour basis. And by doing that, I was able to, uh, to be able to afford him. And, of course, you, mentioning his name scared the daylights out of Major League Players Association and everyone else because he was the man who beat them. And, uh, it, 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 and with, with, with Telcher uh, helping me, I was able to basically stave off these companies, and we don't pay royalties anymore, which made a tremendous difference. So a couple of things. As the games evolved over the years, first of all, uh, question, you still are played by Major League Baseball players. How does it make you feel that it's a game not just played by fans, but played by players? How is it played by players? Well, how do you feel knowing that players like Joe Sharp? Well, knowing that players right? play it uh, is very exciting to me. Uh, you know, Doug Lanville played it from a very young age, seven or eight years old, all the way up, and he still plays our game on the internet. And um, you know, and and you know, it was, it's very exciting to me to know. To, and I remember once, uh, I think it was Ken Singleton who said he, he said that if you if you have a Stratomatic card, you know you've made it in, in, in baseball. And, uh, you know, that was very, a very wonderful thing to hear. Once I heard Mickey Mantle many, many years ago say, you know, I looked at my card, and all there was was strikeouts and home runs. <laughs> and, you know, so the players were very much aware of it. And, uh, and, and several of them, and, you know, several played. Most would not tell us because they were fearful that we might use their name for an uh, endorsement. We would never do that. Because that, would not be, uh, that would not be legal. And so we, we, you know, many players have played our game. Those who are, you know, who are... Uh, into math a little, and who and who like and who like to play games. So the, you know, Trevor Hoffman and his brother played it, and uh, you know, Glanville played it. Uh, you know, um, he sent a fielder for the Mets many years ago, oh, whose name escapes me right now. Uh, he played. I mean, and Singleton, of course, played it, and, and many many players played it. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember uh, the others, but there are many who played it. And it's very exciting for me to you know to see that. How much of it? I know uh, you've done you've tried a lot to adapt. You know, in this age of, of PlayStation and, and Xbox, that you've got uh, a, an iPhone app to play a version of the game. You've got uh, a Baseball Express, which is geared towards kids. How much have you had to change and adapt over the years? What do you look at as the future now for for Stratomatic the franchise? In addition to just Stratomatic the game. And, and additionally, I mean, th this is the big question. How do you compete with, with these heavy-duty graphic vision, you know, graphically <laughs> yeah. driven games like Xbox where these kids are, are more into, instead of going by what the real statistics are, it, it's more just being able to have a joystick and control maybe an Albert Pujols-type swing and feeling that, that that's what they're doing as opposed to actually playing a game of, of strategy. Well, it's uh, you, first of all, you have to stay out of their way. <laughs> you have to find a niche, and our niche is the uh, is the fan who really wants realism, uh, who does not want to see statistics affected by dexterity, and uh, it's mostly an older group. Uh, the the uh, the, uh, the express game is an effort to get the kids involved, and we want to get kids at seven or eight. It, it is much more difficult now for us than it ever was, but you must remember one thing. Uh, the great board games like Monopoly and Scrabble and Stratomatic do well, still do well because they're great games. Uh, there are things that board games have that computer games do not have. Uh, the fact that you uh, have it's much better head-to-head. -head. Uh, the rolling of the dice, there's something about that. I, I, it's just like you're, the dice are an extension of your being, 
And it's, it's very exciting to watch those dice roll. And the cards themselves, the Stratomatic cards, give you an idea of what the players are all about, particularly in the extreme cases. So there are things that, are, uh, that, that, a, that a board game can do and a computer game cannot do. And, of course, there are uh, wonderful things that the computer games do. And a, a, kid who, a child who's into uh, uh, graphics probably will not enjoy our product. But a child who wants realism, uh, and particularly the adults, is what they want. They don't want to get involved with, with uh, uh, you know, the, uh, basically uh, joysticks. Uh, they want more realism. And, of course, we are able to depict the players better than anyone else. I mean, we, we do so much work on the fielding ratings and, and uh, running ratings and things like that. And, our, and our, our, we do a tremendous amount of work on, old, on historical seasons. Uh, all these companies, all they do, even with the current season, is take the stats and, you know, and use them. We do much more than that. And the people who, who, people who play our games appreciate that. I think the best example is lefty-righty. The, almost all the companies take the lefty-righty stats as they are. So if a player's up 20 times and he gets eight hits against the lefty pitching and he's lefty, he's got a 400 average. But if you, but what they try to do is control the number of times you can use them. But he has a 400 average. Now what we do, we see something like that. We go back two more years and see just what this fellow has done against left-handed pitching and how much, how much of the time he was used against left-handed pitching. And so we vary that average. Uh, based on the overall average will be correct, but the batting average against lefties will be much less than it was in, in the real thing. So we do things like that that you know make, set us apart from everyone else. As far as the old-timer seasons go, there's no one like us. Uh, we, we really go into it very heavily. We go through all the box scores, pull out all the information from all the way back. We have one season went with the board game from 1911, which is you know really with Cobb and, and Jackson both hit over 400. It's really something to see that set. And we also read the sporting news of that year. We read all the whole year's sporting news to get the flavor of the players. If you can't do it just on, on statistics, you've got to know the players. And so our, our historical stuff is by, in a class by itself. And our current stuff also is to, with all the work we do on, on many of the ratings. Yeah, absolutely, and there is a reason why there is such a cult following for Stratomatic. Uh, if people want to get more information, where's the best place for them to get information and order the game as well? Surely, that, that would be Stratomatic.com uh, on the Internet. S-T-R-A-T hyphen O hyphen M-A-T-I-C.com. And they'll get all the information, all the products that we have there. Mr. Richmond, I, I not only want to thank you for your time tonight, but I want to thank you for... It's not even hours. It's probably years of enjoyment that I've gotten out of your game, playing with my, my friend Jeff Cohn, playing with, with my friend John Myers. Um, in fact, just recently we had a Stratomatic you know, marathon. So I want to thank you personally for that as well. So thanks so much. Thank you very much for those kind comments. Our okay. pleasure. Thank you. Hal Richmond, the father of Stratomatic Baseball.